0: Hi, I'm
1: Desiree. Hi, I'm Beth. We're two friends whose paths serendipitously
0: crossed, searching for our own healing from chronic illness. While our journeys are uniquely our own, what we've learned is that healing lies in the process of forgetting who we were taught to be and remembering who we always were.
1: Even though this journey can feel impossible,
0: it's also an invitation into the greatest gift one can ever receive. So we're here to remind you that you're not alone. In the depths of chronic illness, we can choose to grow community built on love and grace.
1: These stories are the medicine we hope to share with you in this podcast as we explore what it means to be in the process of 100%
0: healing. Welcome back, friends, to the 100% Healing Podcast. We are really excited today to have a fellow colleague of mine, Julianne, we'll call her Julie. Monday, I'm really excited to get to know Julie a little better. She has been willing to share her story here with us today. And Julie and I met, I guess, it was a few months ago, and kind of connected around this this idea of healing and what does that mean to be a healer who's also going through a healing journey. So. I'm coming in this, Desiree's coming in this with a lot of like compassion and curiosity about your story, Julie, and we're really thankful to have you here. We were talking a little bit before the show about, you know, how we introduce folks and I like this about Julie. She was just like, yeah, I'm a psychologist. I like travel. I like being around people and connecting. And so that really got to the heart of it.
2: So welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to share my story truly for the first time kind of in a question conversation flow, not in chunk. Yeah. Yeah, that was something that really
0: struck me when we first connected a few months ago was like this tension of like holding this big story, right? Of like what's unfolding in your life and learning How do I tell that story? To who do I tell the story? How do I tell what parts to whom? And then holding that as a a professional, a therapist yourself. And again, just really appreciating whatever you share with us in our community today. So, you know, I guess whatever feels good and right to you to maybe get us started, Julie, is, you know,
2: where would feel right to begin with your story? yeah, good question, I think. The interesting thing is, the story usually you know starts way sooner than we think. so my initial goes to like the diagnosis day for me um is like the start of the story, but in reality, once you really like look at things and look back, it begins way, way earlier than that. So I would probably say. Let's start with where I ended up. Cause I think when I listen to other stories, my difference that I feel was not this. I'm experiencing symptoms. What is it? I had more of an like what I call or have labeled an accidental diagnosis where it wasn't on my radar. I wasn't searching for an answer. It kind of just feel like Fell in my lap unexpectedly. And then looking back, right, like there were signs, there were things. The story began way before that accidental diagnosis. And I don't even know that I love that term, accidental diagnosis, but that's what I've used so far because that's what has made sense for that time period. So I would say I moved to, so in psychology land, we do an internship after we get through like the coursework. And I did mine in Baltimore at Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital. And with any big move across the country, so grew up in California, moved to Baltimore, insurance changes and new doctors are needed and new providers are needed. And so, one of the first places I knew I had to find a new provider was for my TMJ. So, my jaw pain, I was getting help with that and kind of having injections for that so found a dentist and and kind of went in shared some symptoms of like you know I have clicking I have tense I have headaches I get migraines those kind of that I think for so long I wrote off as like oh my mom has migraine oh like TMJ is common right And he was the first provider, I would say, that took the time, not necessarily to solve or like provide answers, but more like this has to be connected. I don't think these are isolated situations happening. So I think it and to your benefit for insurance coverage for these injections, like I think we need more information. I think we need to find how they relate because I just don't think that it's you know migraines separate from jaw issues, separate from neck pain or whatever. And I think I was taken aback by that and surprised because I think for so long symptoms were written off almost as like a badge of honor. So I'm an athlete. I've been an athlete my entire life from like the minute I could walk honestly, probably before, like I was in the pool. And so pain was like really seen as a badge of honor. And you don't talk about it, you play through it and, you know, deal with it. So I have this, I truly believe like, one, my mom background of she has a great pain tolerance, probably from the same way I do told to like work through it. To also like, I just think I have a high pain, it takes a lot for me to register as like, pay attention to this rather than just a challenge to work through it so it was different for me for somebody to acknowledge my pain and then be like this isn't normal let's look for it further essentially so yeah he was like I think yeah, I don't have the answers and I'm a dentist. I'm not going to be able to like do this whole journey with you. But like, I can definitely take care of the jaw pain, but let's get an MRI. So he wanted kind of the full thing of like the brain scan, the spine. And so I was like, okay, that's like a way to get insurance to pay for sure. Because I mean, Beth, you know, like we don't make anything in grad school. <laughs> we are basically like professional volunteers. So I was like, absolutely, because I don't have the money for that. So I went, did this very uncomfortable MRI. And I don't even think at that point I was like nervous or scared. I was just like, well, this is great. I finally can get some reimbursement for this and I don't have to like have that economic hardship of trying to manage my pain. And went on with life. And then... I was coaching across the class because I co- I was coaching in Baltimore and I got a call right after I had taken the MRI. Pretty much. I, it felt like right after maybe two hours. And I was like, why would he be calling me? It's like 6 p.m. I just finished the MRI. This can't be happening. Like, this is weird. So I stepped out and I had like a a fellow coach cover for me and I took the call and he kind of just right went right into what he saw on the scan and I was standing on the sidewalk and I think just like really truly trying to take in the information and not really let the feelings come out and it was like let's start with this part so then he started with I can't even remember now, but some part of the brain and then the spine and then tried to kind of say what that could potentially mean. But I think what I remember of that conversation um, was just there's some lesions and words I had never, never heard before. Truly, there's some lesions on this part of your brain and the gray matter I see some bulging discs here in your neck, right? And then they enhanced. And I was like, I know what that means, blah, blah, blah. So I say it with a conversation. It wasn't. It was him just kind of reporting back. And I think me being quiet, just trying to be like, ground myself in something and hopefully latch on to enough words that then when I call my mom which always kind of happens after these really intense information experiences to like help figure out what does that actually mean. So I was like okay, pretty methodical. I think I've developed that skill of just like taking it in, staying calm, book my next appointment and then like keep it moving kind of thing. So then I called my mom on the side, this is all happening on the Baltimore <laughs> sidewalk, and just I think like broke down crying and shared all of the things I remember from him telling, like, okay, mom, I have lesions here, they are enhancing, I have a bulging disc here. And then there were honestly like two other things I can't even remember now, and like panicked, I think for sure. And then she was like, okay, like we'll tackle it sort of thing. Like I'm like, I'm coaching I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. and I frenzied. She slowed me down a little bit. And then I was like, just go finish coaching and like take it step by step kind of thing. So somehow I went back and coached a class. And yeah, so I would say that's really where for me, the story began probably on the sidewalk of a Baltimore street during a coaching the class. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that is like, as you described that, I was just trying to imagine the shock, right? You're the super healthy athletic, you know, you're sort of at the peak of your career at internship. You're like almost there. You know, you've worked so many years. I know like once you've gotten an internship for people who don't know, like you've put in years and years of work. Um Yeah. And so to be going from like, I have some headaches and jaw pain to getting a phone call about lesion and, you know, bulging discs and other things that you're processing on a sidewalk, I just can't imagine what a big shock that was. And it sounds like there was panic and fear showing up. And so thank you for sharing that, I guess, It makes me wonder, you know, from that moment where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. I have this thing happening to my body. You know what? Because I'm sure people listening have, have that moment, you know, where they're like, oh, there's a before and after. That's at least my experience, like a before this and an after this. And somehow you move from that, you know, from that moment in the sidewalk. And I'm curious what. Was that in you that kind of helped you start to put one kind of thing in place and kind of find what do you do next?
2: I think that's where for sure my mom is such a blessing in the sense of like, she's always there to problem solve. Not necessarily like the emotional holding support, but like, okay, we'll book this appointment. We'll get in here. I asked her actually interesting recently when i was in san diego like what do you wish you could have been if you kind of were born in this day and age where like women you know could dream and have those careers and she was immediately like research some sort of research doctorate kind of i was like yes because she loved the research she'll do it for all three of us kids and really write like a dissertation pretty much for anything we need so that was my go-to for any kind of problem was like okay mom what does this mean is this serious i had gotten like pretty soon after i think that night after coaching the mri report where the type of a blurb and like what they see so i'm googling mitochondria uh, lesion this that myelination trying to learn a topic i had never known or understood or truly cared to to them while she's doing the same. And it was just sort of going into like intellectualizing matter of fact. And I think that piece ties to like the story actually began before in the sense of I think emotions in general in my upbringing were yeah okay Sweep it under the rug deal with it push through sucks Well, let's just like go into problem solving so i did what i always did i did what we did as a family i did what uh, i think i was taught to do it was just like okay let's book the appointments research as much as we can about like, the science piece of it and go to work the next day make sure you don't slow down on career stuff or life stuff right there's no pause to take it in or check in about what does this feel like it's more like all right we'll squeeze it in but make sure you show up to your job and i struggle sometimes still i think with everything there's two sides to the coin right i think that has taught me a lot of skills and gotten me far in many things in life the ability to compartmentalize a little bit and stay on track but i do think you know as my story is still being written there's a lot of trouble with that too sometimes you need the break sometimes you need the boss. sometimes you have to metabolize these feelings sometimes because they don't just evaporate or go anywhere so where where are they lodging where are they being stored and i think truthfully like At that point, there were many feelings about this uncertainty and unknown, but there were so many feelings from childhood that I had never metabolized or took the pause to acknowledge or talk about or be told like it's okay to feel these things. And then also like somebody to be there to sit with them and help me really Process some, and keep going back to the word "metabolize" because that's like really the one that feels like it fits for that. It's a great way to put it. I love that. Um, Helps me
1: to even have a visualization of what it feels like to bring up these emotions that come up when we're so so small, and then as an adult, we're like, "Oh, we don't need to deal with any of that." And then it comes out in a different way, and you're like, or at least for me, I'll speak for myself. It's like, "Oh God, I haven't processed, I haven't metabolized that at all. Oh my goodness." So thank you so much for sharing. I know how vulnerable that feels too, or at least for me, it feels incredibly vulnerable to share. And um, I just really appreciate you being that vulnerable here with us today. And then also I'm really curious around, um, since you've made that connection, it sounds like that for you, this, um, or I I don't want to put words in your mouth from my understanding of it is that your illness started with these sort of unprocessed emotions in childhood. and, And you can look back and see different sort of, I don't want to say symptoms, but like, maybe symptoms of like emotions that weren't processed, that sort of thing from childhood. How did you start to make that connection? Like, how did it start to come up with you? Because it sounds like you jumped right into, okay, this is the thing we need to do next. And your mom is so great at that and was able to help you with that, with all the logistical side of things. How did you start to make that transition to, or maybe it's not just the logistical. And of course there's a huge part of that in, in Healing and managing an illness, too. But how did it come up for you where you just started to think hmm, maybe there's an emotional side to it? Maybe there's more to it than just this physical, like research
2: side. Yeah. I think at that point it was so there had been seat printed mm. in different, you know, pre story or like start of this diagnosis story where. In San Diego, I had gone to a dentist to for the TMJ help because it was just so painful and I was getting so many headaches. And I, you know, expect to go in, take away the pain. And he, you know, spent time getting to know me a little bit and was like, I need you to map med- for the next two weeks your emotions, your body sensation at very, like, pretty frequently throughout the day for two Hello. two weeks. you know sorry. what the heck, right? And then simultaneously, I'm also going through my grad program. And the wonderful thing about, I think most programs, my program requiring us to go to therapy ourselves and do our own uh. So like there's two simultaneous pillars being built in the same way, in a way, but I never knew the bridge that connected them. Uh, So again, childhood backstory of grew up in a very chaotic home, uh, unpredictable home. There was a lot of verbal and emotional abuse, specifically with my dad, too. A lot to my mom mostly, but like our us kids too, right? So it was just tense all the time, and tiptoey, don't set dad off. If you do, there could be a verbal outburst, and then swept under the rug, right? Nobody talks about it. Just don't come home until I'm home, and then when I get home, it'll be okay, and then just like keep it moving, kind of thing, uh, and. So unpacking that in grad school was a lot, right? For first time, the validation and the learning behind this is not normal. This actually constitutes abuse. This is actually like very stressful for a child, for anyone, but especially a kid and, and what they're trying to make sense of the world and the framework and foundation that's being laid in their brain. Um, so I... I would constitute like I was a very happy kid, right? Like I was bubbly, energetic, social. But then, you know, all those can be flipped to like people, pleaser, peacekeeper, you know, survival, coping strategies. You pick up as a kid to survive any of your family context. And the first time it was like really, truly in grad school that somebody called out what I had already felt, I think for so long. This is not normal and this is heavy and this is basically, you know, your fight or flight probably being activated, not stopped in my cortisol, not leaving, all that. But then this doctor, right, where I'm like, I'm coming in for physical pain. All you really should know is my like pain level scale. Like, why do I sit, need to sit here and chart my emotions throughout the day? So I did it and I'll be honest, I was probably like not the best patient, didn't throw myself into it. I kind of mapped it at the time I was in a really unhealthy romantic relationship that very much mimicked uh, my childhood in terms of the unpredictability and chaos and stress and all that. So I really didn't want to actually put it on paper because I think that would penetrate a little bit (laughs) the... Thing that was keeping me in that relationship like true denial right rationalization. so anyways i come back in and i'm like yeah i did it for like five days you know here you go kind of thing can you now fix my hey let's like we don't need to go into all this type of thing and then he, he was great in the sense he was just like pretty direct and non-emotional about like the what he was thinking was the cause and it was just kind of point blank this is because your nervous system has, is on fire, like, and it's probably been on fire for decades. Um, he's like, I don't even think I really need to know what happened in your childhood at all or like what family environment. You exhibit all the signs of chronic stress and complex trauma. He um, even said something about like, my pupils. And I was like, wow, I had not given any of this information. But then I'm unpacking it at the same time in grad school and I'm like, yeah, how I must be wearing some of these symptoms besides the internal like voice, right? And signals. There's clearly a somatic piece now. Um, and so I called my mom and I was like, there was a freeing moment in that as well, because one, it. Finally validated, not from a psychology department, where I feel like we're built on validation, right? Like where it was like truly per- a person outside of this called it out and spoke it to existence or gave it life. That wasn't, you know, built on validating and honoring whatever somebody's like, narrative is. So, then I called my mom and I. In that moment, there was anger calling my mom. And I was like, you're coming to the next appointment because you need to hear this. Because I think there was so much, at, at, by that point, I was young, 20, mid-20s, and my dad and my mom had were separated and split. My dad was no longer in my life. But there was still this like lack of acknowledgement and validation and talking about the child's experience from my mom or anyone left in the family system. So I was like, you need to hear it from the doctor that I'm not just fabricating these feelings, and I'm delusional of what happened in that house growing up. And now there's actual physical stuff happening with it. Because the reality is, I know it's like a long winded, but the reality is there were so many complaints I had. Like I remember one point, no idea what age I was like, mom, can I please just get an MRI of my brain? I'm getting headaches. I'm in pain. Like why? This is not just like taking Advil every day. Something doesn't feel right. And it would kind of always get brushed off. Right. And I logically now too, you can't just walk in and be like, give me a brain MRI. There needs to be a lot of referrals and doctors and stuff but it just felt like the word that comes to mind dismissed keep it moving it's nothing it'll pass kind of thing and so this was the beginning of people validating things that I think unconsciously I had already known something wasn't right in my body it just wasn't screaming at me yet
0: That speaks to your intuition, doesn't it? I just like, Mm -hmm. as you, thank you for sharing all of that because as you talked about it, I found myself getting really emotional. I'm still emotional about it. I think um, this story that that Desiree and I hear as we connect with people like you, Julie, in our communities, like there is this history of nervous systems that have been hurt and injured and there's a patterning of, that's not happening tough it out push through you don't see what you see <laughs> you know like it's all of this smoke and mirrors but then like I hear you talking like no I knew something didn't feel right and like to have a provider like that's like I'm like wow I'm so glad somebody was like checking in and and relaying that back to you that's so often not the case and as hard as that probably was to hear at first like a gift that someone was like, hey, your nervous system is fried, you know, like you've been operating in this way because you had created this whole system to stay like strong and you had this high pain tolerance and you like really were a survivor, you know, and so many of us in this community are like we're survivors and we're also having to suppress the things we survived and pretend they didn't happen. And it's like this distrust even comes up in yourself, right? Because you didn't even get to trust your own intuition to get it taken seriously of like, oh, my head, this isn't normal, you know, like looking back. But I guess it it makes me wonder now where you are, you know, today looking at this story. And I'm so fascinated of the idea of like, where does the story begin and how it kind of shifts? Like once you get the diagnosis, you're like, where does the story begin and how you've kind of gone backwards? And. I guess what have you learned now about that quiet voice in you or that knowingness in you, what it did know, and what role that plays in healing for you now?
2: Yeah, what a complicated question, I think, because you're right. I think that I, you know, I believe in the universe like sending us what we need to kind of finally shake us out of that comfort. Place and I think I needed something physically to shake me out of the, it, you're not crazy, Julie, just like you're imagining this, you're too sensitive, you're too, you know, analytical, like I needed some proof essentially because the emotions and just the like voice being like, this is uh, right, wasn't enough for me to pay attention. So after that, initial MRI I still ironically every like neurologist or provider I went to kind of was like this is probably nothing you're not showing symptoms this could be like totally a fluke or I got so I got like two or three more MRIs and it, it definitely got worse before it got better but the reality was I was not reporting any symptoms that could warrant a diagnosis and so one provider I mean, the date lodging so much, December 18th, like it was like, okay, let's go in for a spinal tap um, or I'm ordering a spinal tap. Right. And to this day, my mom was still, so the diagnosis on board was MS, right? Multiple sclerosis. I had never heard of it. I mean, I think we quickly briefed on it on in some psychology class, but truly (laughs) and ironically, at that time, a commercial was coming up about MS treatment, and I was always like, oh, okay, whatever. And then all of a sudden now, that was like such a triggering, literally overnight, a triggering commercial. So he was like, we need to get more information because right now I'm not trusting totally per se that's lesion, that lighting up. And that was like the biggest concern for them. So he's like, it definitely doesn't look good, but you don't have symptoms and we don't have the other ultrasound or spinal tap indicator. So it cannot give you a diagnosis. So January 4th, I went in for an ultrasound or why do I keep calling it that? A spinal tap. And to that day, my mom was like, it's not going to be Julie. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm like, I really don't think so. Mom doesn't sound fine. The first time like it might not be just fine so i went into the spinal tab i was alone in baltimore so i had a friend come up and help me and my family's in california and i'm still not trying to take any time off from my internship because i don't want to extend the year i'm was so blessed and great grateful for that program and how flexible and willing they were to work with me on letting me take some time off not some time literally a day to go get this procedure right because I still did not want to take time off and it turned out because during COVID nobody can be in the hospital so it was a pretty traumatic hospitalization I ended up having it went well went home and then that post dermal I think is what they call it or derma headache where it's like excruciating pain because you ha- you still have a leak of fluid from your spinal cord into your body and you're supposed to naturally have a blood patch that forms where it just clots and then it closes up but mine my blood patch was not forming and so I was like in excruciating pain for like four days can't get up shaking and pain on the floor. And then finally my friend drove, he drove me to the ER and they put me back in. At that point, my mom and brother emergency flew out and they were like, we have to do a blood patch. So they had to go back into that area of the lower back and take some blood out and then put it back towards that area of the spine and hope that it clocked. Um, so scary, really like traumatic first experience with a lot of these things. So they discharged me and it feels like maybe two days later, I'm about to go into the hospital to do a psych assessment on one, of like a kid. And I woke up and I couldn't see out of my left eye. Um, I was like completely blind in my left eye and crazy headache. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. What is this? Frantic. My mom's now in Baltimore. So she's there to really, truly help with the day to day. Still went in and did that psych assessment. Because I was like, okay, like I can get to the hospital and kind of just like close the eye. I can manage to get through this and then I don't have to call out sick. Nobody will kind of know. And then maybe we can resolve it through the weekend. Like I'll be good. So I did that and the pain just got worse. So Long begins the line of doctor's appointments. Now I'm getting diagnosed with optic neuritis. I need to get on a steroid to like calm down the inflammation. I refuse to go back to the ER because truly I think the ER was, and the, the spinal tap was the thing that got me the diagnosis because now I was exhibiting symptoms. I had optic neuritis, so I think it was stressful enough that it put my body over the edge to kind of give the symptom that they needed. The spinal tap came back. All of the indicators that they look for MS were there. So now I had the trifecta to give the diagnosis. And I remember being in a meeting and my mom, you know, worked really hard on not having me go back to the hospital and got like a Hopkins nurse to come to my apartment give me an infusion while I'm attending an internship meeting on Zoom because it was COVID too still. So it was a blessing, actually. It was COVID for me because my mom could come out with her job and work remotely and I was remote a lot of the time. But I think that just speaks to like, I still could not pay attention to my body. I still could not give it the pause, the rest, the assurance. Like, I got your back. I know when to shut it down. And when you're screaming at me, I'll listen. Because it was still locked in on attending and not showing anyone that there was any problem or that I was going to have to take time off. And I attended, I will never forget this, nine postdoc interviews that were like eight hours a day when I had just had my two surgeries on my lower spine. Um. did them all I I extended one I said I'm in the hospital right now can we just push it back three days and they said okay but and then so that really long-winded that brings me back to the intuition like I was so disconnected from my internal voice I was so disconnected from listening to my body my gut because we're so long from every person that I think is supposed to like, look out for you. And, and I don't put intention that this like, I think it's well intended, but they kind of taught me, don't listen, if nothing, keep it moving, like it'll pass. And so that's all I had known from coaches, which that's their job, from my parents, my mom, doctors. So everything to me was always like, you're being too dramatic, Julie, like you're overthinking this. Just keep it moving; it'll pass. Everything is going to be fine, type of thing. But the the optic neuritis, I think, fine. I can't even say that. Speaking it out loud, because I still pretended work. I still did the assessment, even though I'm like half blind at that point. I still logged on to nine interviews for postdoc fellowship when my back was screaming at me because it just had been my spine had been like poked open twice in the last two weeks so where am I at with it now I am on a daily challenge journey of how do I start to trust and reconnect with my gut and my intuition and my body and I wish to say like right from that moment it changed but it didn't I I That's where the true emotional healing journey begins, I think, because it forced me to look at how many times I self-abandon and how many times I ignore everything that my body's trying to do to protect me and get my attention, whether it's emotions, whether it's feelings, whether it's physical sensations, and whether it's like true pain. I was the definition of, I don't trust you, body, so shut up. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to know you,
0: first of all, Julie, because I Mm -hmm. think as a psychologist, listening to another another psychologist and like hearing so much of myself and you and knowing Desiree, like we, we have so many parallels and what I'm so noticing that we are here to help people and yet we're taught to do this thing that hurts us and hurts people inadvertently right like you learn to push through so you can do the thing the assessment you learn to push through so you can show up to work and like whether you're in the helping field or in another field this is the mentality right but to just highlight that even those of us who are trained and skilled and have all the book knowledge right like the application of like how do you stay healthy there's such a disconnect until we're woken up in these ways of like when you said self-abandon, it's like, yes, that's exactly what we're taught to do, to abandon ourselves. And so then it's like, how do we expect our medical and psychological providers to kind of meet people in this way, right? Because we, we're taught ourselves not to meet ourselves in that way. So I think it's so important that providers like you are coming and sharing like, hey, I did it this way. That hurt me. Now I'm reconnecting with myself. I'm looking in myself. I'm like, what? Okay, intuition. I know you're down there. I know. I know why you got surprised. But what do I do with you now? And so I'm just like really grateful for you being just very real about that, and also that it's not overnight. You're not just like, yep, okay, I turned it around, and now I know how to do it. You know,
2: it's such a process. I wish it was overnight, truly, but I know that's not how life works. That's not the journey, and. It feels like a daily practice that I don't succeed in often, still, because it's my default, right? Like, I talk so many times with patients, clients, on like, because it it was my, it is a lot of ways my superpower, was my superpower growing up. Yeah, same. Um, It taught me empathy and like so observant of other people, right? Because I had to constantly be scanning my environment for when the next outburst or, you know, verbal lashing or chaos was going to happen. And so that part's important. And then, oh, what at what cost? And I think that's the part that I wrestle with a lot. And not that I would ever or could ever go back and change that because I'm so grateful for it too but now how do i integrate both how do i be empathetic person who shows up and values people connection without self abandoning because i had only known how to do those in a self abandonment as the first step but now i'm really wrestling with how do i advocate for myself how do i set a boundary how do i speak up how do i take time off how do i say enough is enough this is not healthy right cuz you know, after the dad, like many abusive relationships later, I still struggle with like your gut is telling you something, Julie, why can't you hear it? Why do you need to Google it? Why do you need to have your therapist say this is not normal? How do you have to ask 75 friends to tell you like what he's doing or this person's doing is like not okay um, and not healthy for you? And you're not crazy i think that's the, the question all the time haunts me am i just crazy right am i too emotional too sensitive looking for this but the bridging right like that is my challenge daily because it feels like it goes against a lot of my a lot of pieces of my identity and i haven't quite and maybe I'll never get to the point where I'm like, yep, yeah, I figured it out, right? Like, this is the perfect integration of both. But it's a, a long, bumpy road to how can I honor my voice and my gut while also maintaining my values of connection, helping, seeing people being a part of their journey and their healing. So long. It's hard. It's hard. I do wish it shit quicker. nothing in life yeah. is quick so true Beth and I talk about that all the time
1: we're like have we healed at all and then we'll look behind us and be like oh yeah we, we've done some healing and then we look ahead and we're like all right we'll keep doing There's it one time <laughs>
2: it's gonna keep
1: happening forever um, oh man I'm, I'm just so blown away and I really appreciate your vulnerability Julie because Beth and I've talked to lots of people kind of on similar journeys as us. And then we, of course, share with each other all the time. And I'm sure we're like broken records on here. But this story is so, so similar. I mean, just the self-abandonment, the not being acknowledged. Am I too much? Am I not enough? Like, especially as a little one who wasn't in a safe environment. I know Beth and I can both relate to that. Like, we had very similar experiences where you really had to Learn how to self-abandon to stay safe, to get love, to get the basic need, your basic needs met, right? And so I just think it's going to be so healing for people to heal, hear that like, oh, maybe this illness has some gifts to it too. And it's waking me up. And it's really not that anyone's deserving of illness. And I don't ever mean to imply that, but it's the idea that, man, this can be a gift and this can actually teach me things that maybe I wasn't ready to learn otherwise or I know in my case, I'm similar to you. I wasn't listening. And I know, Beth, you can relate to that, too. Yeah, I had to be taken to my knees before I listened. And even then, I was like, are you sure? Maybe let me ask their opinion about it. (laughs) Okay. So I I kind of just like a side note curiosity, Julie. Mm -hmm. How did you decide to get into your field? previous to all this, because obviously you were already on this path before having illness and before having the recognition of all of these things. But I'm just curious, was there some intuition there? Was there something that was maybe coming through before you even recognized it? Or how did you get into your field and your path?
2: I love this question because like even in my grad school essay, I I think I wrote something like You know, I was born a psychologist. Like, I literally think I came out of the womb as a psychologist. I've always been fascinated with, like, people and their emotions and their stories and, like, why they act the way they act. And then, I kid you not, first day, first class, I had a professor literally start the class and say, nobody is born a psychologist and it's your job in the next five years to figure out what brought you here. I was like, how did they let me in? She must not read my essay. Um, <laughs> and so, like, the, I, I've always been fascinated by emotions. I'm a deeply feeling person. I do feel like it's a superpower for me to pick up on people's energies and nonverbals and, like, literally can feel like I can walk into a room and know a lot of what the emotional energy of it is and i grew up in a childhood or a family where i really needed that to stay alive to pick up on the unsaid things i think to answer because i now believe no nobody is born a psychologist is i knew something was wrong i knew something wasn't right i knew I was feeling things and I was in touch enough with my emotions growing up, but I didn't have words for it. I didn't have somebody. There'd be just like, honestly, wasn't really accessible and talked about in the stigma to like, tell me you're not crazy. This has a word for it. This is a diagnosis. What your dad has, this is not okay. You don't deserve this. All of that. I didn't have anybody to do that for me. So it was a lot of just confusion and living in confusion. And I think other people's stories gave me a very brief moment of, okay, I'm not alone if I hear a little bit of this, or okay, other people. Even as a little kid, right? Storybook. My mom will always share the story. I was like an avid reader that I loved the like dark light book uh. where like the characters have so much emotional depth and dimension and there was one angeline diablo was like i guess my favorite book and like i just became like engrossed in it and so psychology i fought it hard i like became a teacher for three years because i was like no i don't want to i don't want to become a psychologist i don't want to go into that much debt i don't think nobody can go to school for that long but it always came back to like for the kids, I'd be interested in their home life. I'd be interested in why they were acting out. Like, what are you feeling in this moment that you wanted to hit that kid next to you? Why are you sad this morning coming to school on a day just started? Like, what's going on at home type of thing? So, all that to say, psychology finally gave me the language and the space to honor what I already knew intuitively this was not normal and right and didn't feel good to make sense of my child and then to make sure honestly like no child that any steps foot in front of me will ever have to wonder alone about if what is happening to them or what's going on inside of them is normal or not really well said
0: yeah yeah i appreciate that because I, I too was a i was born a psychologist <laughs> and then when i just look back and like i been born in that healthy environment i'm friends wouldn't be a psychologist you know it's like this it's i don't know if you relate to this but it's this kind of experience of being a really intuitive sensitive being that learns to suppress yourself but as you were describing learns to tune into everyone else and then meet their needs Well, for me comes back to part of how I got sick. And so coming into this balance of like, how do I be a compassionate helper and being who loves connection? Like it's what my life force connecting with people, but also I have to do that with me. And so I wonder for you, Julie, like, as you're on this part of the journey, kind of seeing that self-abandonment and taking it day by day and, Kind of being curious with your own emotion, like, do you find there's certain practices that really help you connect back in to you?
2: Yeah, good question. I think this is going to be, be- yeah, like, so working out and movement of my body has been always my thing. Uh, so I can't even say that. I think what's been a practice and like, important is honoring what my body is saying each day because I did two a days forever right and so I know I can play through the pain and push to the the point of it's not healthy for my body anymore but I never was able to allow myself to say I need a rest day today I need to not work out today I need to go do something else that recharges me and doesn't punish my body in a way And so it's truly like a a work in progress. Anyone that's ever met me or known me intimately, like you have a problem with resting. You have a problem with staying still. You have a problem like not putting yourself to like the red zone. So my practice is more giving permission and committing to, my body says, don't do it. Don't do it. And nature and mindfulness in that way because again I know I can you know execute a goal like nobody's beliefs but I don't don't take breaks and I don't actually sometimes enjoy the present moment of just like go for a walk for walk state it doesn't need to be to accomplish anything or to hit 10 miles or to do the hardest hike in the world like go just taking a sunset Let that be okay and nourishing. So rest days, getting out in nature, definitely daily practices for me. Traveling, I think, no, that was the little blurb of my intro, but because that, I feel, ooh, this is, I don't know that I've ever had this moment. Traveling allows me to connect and get recharged in the way where I don't have to self-abandon. I meet people and often, not even intentionally like looking for it, people around the world have so many stories. I've backed so low and met so many kind souls that always restore my faith in humanity. It allows me to receive without feeling like I need to abandon to give. And I... Don't know that I ever made that connection until now where we're not like they thought that they're there for me, but they show up for me for the mere like love out of their heart and kindness. And it's not, okay, now what are you going to give me? So I don't have to think about it. I don't have to actually question a lot of the self-doubt that I feel on a day-to-day in my like routine life with people in my, you know, life and family. So and making sure I travel as much as possible and accept whatever comes my way. And be okay with those like hidden blessings that you don't expect. Take the kindness from the person on the ma- mountaintop. Let them take you to the hospital, Julie, because you have no idea where you're going and like you are vomiting for 24 hours straight. Let them give you a ride for the mere sake that like they're okay dropping you off at a train station and good conversation and are those i would say are my three biggest lesser practices if you will on how to reconnect to myself and heal and slow down to pay attention and turn up the volume on my intuition rather than trying to find the mute button frantically mm-hmm. I was like
0: thinking, Desiree, and I would give you a big high five right now. You know, I yes. the same room. like it's, it's the idea of rest, such a like, mind-blowing idea, right? When you're someone who's been very type A driven, reciprocity, right? Not just giving, but like receiving, but then the receiving, like allowing yourself. I love that about travel. That's such a cool connection of yeah, letting strangers just be blessings in your life, letting people do things for you that you're not just there to serve everyone else. I think those are definitely things that Desiree and I have also come across. And so there's just such wisdom there. And I'm just imagining somebody else having their kind of corner of of Baltimore where they're learning about their diagnosis moment, you know, and hearing this kind of wisdom of like, where do I even start beyond... The doctor's appointments and all of that i'm just hearing a lot about like allow yourself to rest allow yourself to receive allow yourself to connect not just outward but inwards so gosh thank you so very much julie
2: yeah, yeah. thank you so much for having me on here i've never shared that in its t- entirety right i share like little bits bit. like oh this diagnosis this hospital day but I think, you know, in my own theory, recognizing timing is also very important because I would never have been in that place prior to probably this moment right here to ever acknowledge my diagnosis, want to share it with the world, right? It was more like that hidden, sweep under the rug, nobody needs to know you're fine. Like and I think what I'm around two to two and a half years after my first treatment. And finally, at the place where I'm like, no, it's okay. It's a part of me. And I don't want to sweep it under the rug or pretend it's not there.
1: So beautifully put. Thank you so much. Uh, Just the way that you've shared today too and the vulnerability. I keep saying that, but I just know how healing it is. I'm with you where stories really are very healing for me too. But Mm -hmm. hearing someone in the midst of a story too. Like that's what Beth and I always say too. It's not like we're neat packages where like we had this and like, it's really easy to see the Instagram version of illness, right? Like I had this and I overcame and I'm strong. And that's like, we love that version of it. I think as a society, but hearing like it's the nitty gritty and every day it's a practice and I show up every single day and have this opportunity. I just think that's super special. And I'm so grateful. I know that we're wrapping up, but just one final quick question, which you kind of touched on a little, but I just wanted to ask if you were talking, we'll say to yourself, you know, that that woman standing on the sidewalk, just like feeling all the fear, all the um, emotions coming up with a new diagnosis, someone
2: in that position right now, what, I don't even know if advice is the right word, but what would you say to them? In a way, like I, one part of my mind goes to words and another part, because I think this is the part I didn't get. And I think she needed, I needed all along. I think I would refrain from a word and pull her close, give her a hug and let her cry and feel every fear, sorrow, despair loneliness, pain that she never got a chance to feel growing up. And then just whisper, like, you're not alone in it. Okay, well, I'm crying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we, <laughs> we're all over here. <laughs> it was just like, um, yeah. wow. Thank you. Like, big thank you. I know somebody's listening who needed to hear that.
2: Mm-hmm. Truly. I needed Absolutely. to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> we all need to hear that on this journey yeah yeah thank you for asking that question because i've never again my go-to is like come up with beautiful words but I, honestly i didn't i don't think i needed words a lot of times i needed the hug and the permission to feel and yeah. i'll feel crazy <laughs> yeah gosh julie i think this is this is
0: the beginning of your career as a psychologist and i can't imagine how this is going to influence your walk with people and how you make an impact in the world so Thank you for being a human here with us, psychologist or not, right? Just a member of our community. And if people want to find out more about what you do and how to contact you, do you have a website?
2: Yes, I do. Monday Psychological Services. So just like the day of the week, M-O-N-D-A-Y PsychologicalServices.com. But thank you so much, Desiree and Beth. I really appreciate the opportunity to be the first place where I get to share part of my story and like put it out there and see what it feels like to try to like make sense of it um yeah thank you yeah thank
0: you thank you and to all of our friends listening just please hear this today and know again that you are held in love and grace and you are not alone we'll see you next time